Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Bill Denko. He is the author of the book called The Millionaire Next Door, and then a follow-up one called Richer Than a Millionaire, A Pathway to True Prosperity. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Bill. Thank you, Jordan. So let's get a brief background of you and your uh, academic uh, record and uh, what it was that uh, had you writing these books before we get into the details about the books. Sure. It all started off as uh, basic research projects uh, when I was a student. Um, I had the opportunity to take a class with uh, Professor Tom Stanley in the 1970s, and uh, he invited me to participate in his very first study of the affluent market. So basically, from 1973 to present, I've been uh, studying uh, affluence in America. But in the meantime, (laughs) uh, from 1973 forward, I uh, completed a PhD at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute from the Lally School of Management, became a professor of marketing at the uh, State University of New York at Albany, and for the last nine years that I was there, I was the chairman of my department, the marketing department, and then I decided to uh, go off on my own, saying I've had enough uh, of the, uh, the teaching responsibilities and everything that goes on with academia, but it was certainly uh, very rewarding uh, being in the university setting. It was, um, you know, it's, uh, it's it's very collegial. It's, uh, you get paid to write. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's a good job. And then on the personal side, you know, during this entire period, uh, I got married, uh, have three kids, still have the three kids and the one wife. And uh, now I have five grandkids and enjoying life more than ever. Very so that's good. how I got. That's how I got here. You know, it's study hard and focus and enjoy the fruits of the labor. So you're an expert on wealth and wealth creation, and uh, uh, how to do it, and kind of the state of wealth. Let's just start on a broader basis here. Kind of summarize the situation with wealth in America today. Some people would complain that it's getting harder to become wealthier and it's been concentrating more and more at the very top and most people are not part of that. What what is your evaluation of the current kind of distribution of income in America? Yeah, yeah. you know what? It's not necessarily harder to do, but there are some psychological impediments that I think that are making it harder. It it seems that we're developing or living in a culture now where – well, there's a disincentive to work. I mean, I, I disagree with some of the administration's ideas of, well, let's just give uh, more and more benefits, you know, during this COVID period when we have, you know, 10 million jobs that have to be filled, and yet we have uh, a very low labor force participation rate. Look, it comes down to this. You got to work, you got to save, you got to invest, and let time work for you. Well, if you're not working and you're not saving, uh, how can you invest? And then coupled with that, one of the, the, the problems we have in American society now, and I think it's being amplified, especially with social media, 
is this idea of instant gratification. You know, so this idea of saving for some indeterminate future when I might want to retire uh, or, or live off uh, my assets, um, it, it just seems that we've lost that psychological uh, drive of saying, I can postpone this. I'm going to let time work for me. Look, in 1985, Franco Modigliani, an economist, won the Nobel Prize. And it was for his theory on the life cycle of money. And it's so simple, it's beautiful. He says, when you're young, you work for money. And when you're old, money works for you. Well, that gets back to this idea of work, save, and invest. So those investments will reap the rewards that you've uh, put in, uh, you know, with your uh, savings and your investments. Why, why do you think things have changed? You're saying the work ethic is not what it used to be. Well, I mean, why has that changed? P- well, partly, you know, the, the government is discouraging it right now. I mean, look at this. You have the. Uh, the labor force participation rate is uh, uh, low when we have so many unfilled jobs that have to be done. But if you have a safety net that says, well, I don't need a job. I mean, you look at the fact that we have these uh, um, shipping uh, um, tankers or, or, or cargo ships that are just waiting to get into the port to be unloaded but we don't have enough people to unload those ships and we don't have enough truck drivers to get the products to the market. I mean, we have some real serious disruptions here that uh, are really unsustainable if we're going to maintain, um, well, <laughs> the culture that we, I think, deserve to have. So what where, should be done about that? I mean, the un- the extra unemployment benefits ran out in the early part of September. Yeah, yeah. Some say that got people back off the couch. But there's, a, as you say, a big shortage of truckers and all kinds of people. And, and there's still roughly 9 million people who are unemployed, along with the 11 million empty jobs. How would yeah. you get that gap and get the people who are unemployed into the jobs that are yeah. begging? Yeah. You know, again, another structural issue that has to be addressed is uh, our university systems, our higher education. I mean – We've grown up in this culture of saying, well, everybody has to get a college degree. Uh, Not necessarily so. You look at the uh, recent education statistics and find there are more women now enrolled in college than there are men. I think at least for the, the men category, they're getting the message of saying, well, maybe I can get a job that can pay very well, just like we have in the millionaire next door. <laughs> of what's wrong with being a blue-collar millionaire? What's wrong with being a tradesperson? You know, what's wrong with getting your hands dirty to make a living? But yet, we've grown up in this idea of, well, it's an expectation. You will get a four-year degree. I'm a real advocate of going to trade schools, going to two-year uh, community colleges, um, and learn how to do, you know, heating, air conditioning, uh, maintenance, and become a diesel mechanic or become a carpenter. Do something that adds value to society. But right now, I think, I hope we are turning around. I don't know that to be true yet, but I think we've been misguided 
in these expectations of you will go to a college, whether it has a a useful output or not, <laughs> is another question. And well, look, that's right. Something from somebody who was at college, who was a professor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Years. <laughs> you're saying the output that you put out. A lot of those people could have better used trade schools instead of going through the school. You were teaching. Uh, you, well, you know what? Um, honestly, th- that is true. There, there are some of the students I've had who I believe didn't belong in college, and some were obviously very good. Look, I, I taught at the state university, and I'm very delighted to uh, be in contact with some of my former students who have become entrepreneurs and who have gone to graduate school at very prestigious schools. Um yeah, they're very good, forward-thinking uh, individuals who uh, I really commend. I, you know, I, it's just wonderful. But yet, like most things in life, there's a lot of uh, you know ordinary outcomes. And one of the problems at the same time with having a, a, a state university system uh, that tries to keep tuition as low as it can to be as inclusive as possible. And again, that sounds really wonderful until you realize that maybe those students are being ill-served and they should be going elsewhere. Just because it's cheap doesn't mean it's uh, for you. Yeah. So you, you, in your book, which is called Richer Than a Millionaire, The Pathway to True Prosperity, talk about the steps one needs to become a millionaire. So let's just briefly go through those steps. The first one is to create a good work ethic by being industrious and to have a passion. So you're saying a lot of people don't have that anymore. They're kind of lost. They don't really know where they want to be going. Uh, yeah, un- unfortunately true. Uh, they're, um, you know, without this focus of having the passion, waking up in the morning and saying, I love what I'm doing, and you know how the phrase goes, if you love what you're doing, it's not a job. Well, truly, I mean, if you've got to do something for 40 years, you don't want it to be a drudge. Having this passion is absolutely wonderful. You know, one of the profiles of, of somebody with a huge passion is, you know, James Dyson, you know, the Dyson vacuum cleaner guy, among yeah. other things. And, you know, he had over 5,000 um, prototypes of his um vacuum cleaner before it was ready for prime time and he says he learned how to have this kind of passion and focus and willingness to uh, go for the long haul simply because he was a long distance runner himself i i don't know if he still runs but my point is he had that kind of discipline to say i can make this work do you think people going through school today are taught to do that, to have a good work ethic and find their passion? Uh, no. <laughs> you know, we often get the pablum, and again, it's a societal thing. Follow your dreams. Well, I'd like to tell them, as I've told my own children and my own students, follow your dreams, but don't forget to make a living. <laughs> okay. You know, it, it is wonderful to have, uh, you know, these aspirations of saying, you know, I want to be, uh, you know, a filmmaker. You know, there was a um, a, a recent uh, Wall Street Journal um, article about uh, what they, they didn't call them useless degrees, but if I'm looking at my notes here, they say, 
To get a degree in publishing from New York University, you have to borrow $116,000, and your expected income when you get out is $42,000. At Columbia University, to get a degree in film, you borrow $181,000, and your expected income is $30,000. What about this idea of personal responsibility? Yes. What about this idea of saying, yeah, I, I want to be a film director or a filmmaker. I get it. You know, it's a wonderful profession, but you really have to do your own cost benefit analysis. And that comes down to personal responsibility of uh, saying, well, you know, what is the payoff? Now, look, if you happen to have somebody who's uh, funding your uh, uh, education, For example, I've met a number of um, medical doctors and dentists who I think have very good earning prospects, and some of them will readily admit to me, yeah, if it weren't for my grandfather and grandmother, I wouldn't be able to afford this. You know, it's it's absolutely wonderful to have somebody who can fund something of real value. Yeah. Okay, we're going to have to take a break, Bill. Uh, This is uh, Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show, my guest this hour is Bill Denko. He is the author of a book called Richer Than a Millionaire, A Pathway to True Prosperity. You can find out more about him at his website, which is richerthanamillionaire.com. We'll be back after this. Every year, American businesses waste over $400 billion because bad writing causes confusion, misses the mark, or takes too long to get to the point. On the other hand, better writing helps businesses win and impress customers enhance brand perception, improve internal communications, and strengthen relationships with critical partners. Better, faster writing means better business, which is why your team needs WordTune for teams. WordTune goes way beyond simple spelling and grammar correction since its artificial intelligence engine understands meaning and offers writing suggestions to help anyone make their writing more clear and compelling. It's the ultimate tool to elevate your entire team's writing instantly. I was wondering how writing such a writing tool could possibly help, so I gave it a try. It's kind of like having a writing expert on call at any time to look at my drafts and suggest improvements. Now, I don't have to waste time agonizing over the perfect sentence because WordTune offers the best alternatives, and I picked the one I like best, and it makes the changes in my text instantly. I was recently writing up a business proposal, and WordTune gave me just the right words to get across why the people I was writing to should approve of the deal. You wand over the sentence or the block of text you've just written in WordTune, then suggest ways to improve it. And if I agree, I just click, and the changes are made. Using WordTune makes me and my team confident that what we write will be optimized for maximum impact. When can your team use WordTune? WordTune improves performance on any project, everything from internal emails to press releases, sales outreach to customers, and so much more. You can use WordTune anywhere you're writing online, including Google Docs, Slack, Outlook Web, and WhatsApp. You can try WordTune for free at wordtune.com slash moneyanswers. Are you looking to elevate your entire team's writing? My listeners can get a discount for their team today at wordtune.com slash moneyanswers. Wordtune improves writing efficiency up to four times. Better, faster writing means better business. Start writing better today with Wordtune by going to wordtune.com slash moneyanswers. 
Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet, it's going to be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is going to be big. They call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you, man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not going to be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner, earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. That's mypassiveincome.life. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Bill Danko. He is the author of the book called Richer Than a Millionaire, A Pathway to True Prosperity. You can find out more at his website, richerthanamillionaire.com. Welcome back to the show, Bill. Thank you, Jordan. Going through the, the steps to become richer than a millionaire. The first one is to create a good work ethic and have a passion. The second one is to persevere when there's no gain without pain. So this, if you're saying everybody wants everything instant gratification. They're not looking for a lot of pain. So how does one <laughs> persevere in this? <laughs> yeah, it takes personal dif- discipline, doesn't it? It's... Um, it, it, it Look, if it were easy, everybody could do it, right? But once you know that that's what has to be done, you have to ask yourself that fundamental question. Do I really want to put myself through this to uh, this achieve this, this goal that I think is worthy of my efforts? You know, I, I think it was um, um, Zig Ziglar in one of his books, he said, you know, as you climb the ladder of success and doing what you're doing, make sure your ladder is leaning against the right wall. Because <laughs> uh-huh. once you get to the top, uh, say, my goodness, I spent my life doing this. So you, you really have to choose a profession. And this is why, you know, again, going back to um, uh, Millionaire Next Door, um, you know, the appendix in the back of the book you know, talks about the some of the jobs folks have had that um, saying, well, gee, they don't sound very attractive to me. For example, um, like um, uh, owning storage units. And, uh, well, when you look at the business model of saying, 
I have a storage unit where nobody lives in it, but they have their stuff in it. And I collect monthly rents. And I can do this, especially as as something that's operating in the background. I may have a profession uh, doing something else, uh, such as being an attorney uh, who owns a number of franchises and fast food and who people like that I've interviewed. And, and so you're looking at saying, well, what am I trying to accomplish? I'm trying to accomplish having a net worth that is going to allow me to do the things I want to do on my own terms. And that's where the perseverance comes in. Finding something that that's not morally objectionable and something that I can do um, you know, to create my net worth. It's but when you just think of life as, well, it's a nine to five job and I only get paid if I show up, uh, boy, you're missing the boat. You yeah. need something that's uh, that's recurring income that allows you to uh, you know create this diversified portfolio over time. So that's your, what we really mean by the perseverance aspect of it. Your third tip is to practice good stewardship. What do you mean by that? Yeah, um, you know, Clearly, you know, you got to look at the tax environment that you're involved in. I mean, stewardship has so many levels to it, but certainly one is the tax element of it. I mean, when we look at what is the marginal tax for earned income versus what is the marginal tax for, well, capital gains, at least currently, it's about half from from what it would be, you know, if earned income is, what, 35%, uh, 39% thereabouts. At the high end, and capital gains can be twenty percent. Well, what would you rather do? You know, have capital appreciation, and you know, sell your your long term uh, uh, stocks and and pay a twenty percent capital gains tax. It's a lot more efficient and effective than uh, just trying to earn that same amount, uh, you know, through your efforts. Yeah. So, so your, that's your, what I mean by good your, stewardship. Your fourth one is to be frugal. Now, you think of millionaires, what they're doing is spending a lot. They just get so much money and they have jets and jewels and big homes and so on. Why yeah. do you need to be frugal if you're going to be a successful millionaire? <laughs> That's right. What's the sense of being rich if you can uh, display it? Look, there's a couple of elements to this that are um, um, apropos. You know, one of the things that we've discovered through our extensive empirical research is that for every wealthy person who buys one of the high-end items, be it jewelry, a car, a house, for every one of those, there are four to five non-wealthy people buying the same item because they want to look wealthy. Well, (laughs) you can look the part or be the part. And when you realize there are a lot of people who have a lot of debt, wall-to-wall mortgages, as we'd say, one of the physicians I interviewed says, I'd like luxury cars. I drive a Mercedes, but I always buy one that's a couple of years old, and I let somebody give me the gift of early depreciation. So you don't have to look bad just because you're uh, being frugal. You still can have a, a vehicle that's going to last 20 years, but let the depreciation be paid for by somebody else, the early depreciation anyway. So that's what we mean by frugality. It doesn't mean, you know, never picking up the tab at a restaurant with your friends. It means making decisions and saying, do I really need a new car? 
do I really need a high-end piece of jewelry to tell time when my telephone tells the time already that I'm carrying? You ask yourself, why am I buying what I'm buying? And when you realize you don't need all this other stuff, but of course, all that other stuff really benefits the person who uh, uh, is selling you rental space on a uh, <laughs> storage unit. You know, I mean, I, one of the big lessons of the millionaire next door was how modest these people who've made a lot of money were. In many cases, staying in the same homes that they grew up in, the same neighborhoods, and so on. So the frugality really helps people hold on to the millions if they make them. Is that right? Well, yeah, that's right. You know, so you're integrated in your neighborhood. You know, you're you're actively involved in uh, you know the social scene in your neighborhood, and. There's a couple of things here. You know, it, again, suppose you're in the trades, such as being a, uh, you know, a plumber. And why do you want to live in a top-end house when you say, that's not where my friends are? You know, I am going to live in the same neighborhood. We called it, not derogatorily, but uh, we, we'd call it the industrial strength neighborhood that suits my 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 mentality just fine and I don't have to try to be anything that I'm not so I can drive that pickup truck I don't have to belong to the country club I can you know just live my life the way I want to and do things on my own terms without calling attention to myself so what happens to people who get a lot of wealth quickly whether it be rock stars or sports athletes or people who win the lottery what happens to them when they have a lot of money to deal with all at once? Yeah. When, when the wealth doesn't come organically over time um, and, and you find yourself with this windfall, you sometimes do some irrational things like thinking it's going to last forever <laughs> and buy your friends uh, all sorts of presents. Yeah. And we, we have seen this with um, yeah, uh, athletes and actors and actresses, um, you know, when I talk to um, some athletes and they have some very large paychecks, I say, look, here's the simple algorithm. Think of it as in thirds. One third of what you make is spendable. One third is taxes and administration. And one third should be a long-term investment. And if they can get that through their heads, they're going to be well off in the long term. But a lot they, of them don't, you're saying. A lot of them don't. You know, there's there's lots of uh, stories in the uh, sports press about you know I used to be I used to be rich, <laughs> but that, not anymore. You know, there's a lot to be said about growing it organically. You know, again, work, save, invest, as opposed to this windfall. And you know, this is one of the dangers. You know, getting the windfall. Again, going back to the millionaire next door, one of the illustrations we have in there is we look at the spending patterns of those who have inherited their wealth versus those who have earned it on their own. And as you might imagine, and we show this to be true statistically, um, in terms of clothing, art, cars, all the items you can imagine, those who have inherited the money tend to be more loose with their money and spending habits than those who made it and say, well, wait a minute, this is my money, let's be good stewards of it. But yep. when you inherit it, hey, easy come, easy go. 
Indeed. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show, and my guest this hour is Bill Danko. He is the author of the book called Richer Than a Millionaire, A Pathway to True Prosperity. You can find out more about him and his work at richerthanamillionaire.com. We'll be back after this. Whether you're a crypto pro or a total beginner, you can finally earn Bitcoin the easy way. With the world's first Bitcoin rewards credit card from BlockFi, you can earn unlimited Bitcoin on every qualifying purchase you make. Introducing the BlockFi Rewards Visa Signature Card. It's the easiest way to get Bitcoin by just making everyday purchases. Grow your Bitcoin portfolio when you buy your groceries, pay your bills, fill up at the gas station, or have a meal at a restaurant. You can earn 1.5% back in Bitcoin on all qualifying purchases with no reward limits. Plus, there's no annual fee and no foreign transaction fees. Just Bitcoin earned on every single qualifying purchase. Now's the time to start or ramp up your Bitcoin portfolio. Bitcoin saw a 230% annualized gain last year and has been strong for most of this year as well. In fact, Bitcoin has been the best performing asset the last decade, outperforming the NASDAQ 100 by 10 times. BlockFi is a leader in crypto and was named the Forbes, to the Forbes FinTech 50 list in 2021. Plus, BlockFi is the easiest way to buy, sell, and earn crypto. So there's no better time to sign up and start earning Bitcoin today. Right now, listeners to The Money Answer Show can earn a bonus of $25 in crypto after you make your first purchase with a credit card when you sign up at BlockFi.com money. That's a $25 bonus in crypto deposited right into your account after you make your first purchase. But you have to use my URL, which is BlockFi.com money. Start earning Bitcoin back on all your qualifying purchases today. So go to BlockFi.com money. Not all will be eligible. Geographic, regulatory, and underwriting restrictions apply. Fees and terms are subject to change. Additional terms of service at BlockFi.com. BlockFi is a financial technology company. Banking services provided by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. 
Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Bill Denko. He is the author of Richer Than a Millionaire, A Pathway to True Prosperity. You can find out more about him and his work at richerthanamillionaire.com. Welcome back to the show, Bill. Thank you. So we were going through the various keys to becoming a successful uh, millionaire, and one of them is to be humble. You quote Ben Franklin here. Again, we were talking about these rock stars and actors and uh, sports stars. You don't think of them as humble. That's not a word that typically comes to them. What's the, the problem with not being humble? Yeah. You know, um, in 1758, Benjamin Franklin wrote the essay titled The Way to Wealth, And he indicated that, yeah, it's good to be persevering and industrious and frugal. He said, those are all wonderful things. And that's how you become financially wealthy. He says, but don't forget about those in need. Always recognize that you have more than others and you can share with them. In other words, he was saying, to really be wealthy, you must be humble. And that implies you must be a giver as opposed to a taker. And so if you can help others solve their problems and recognize you're not too good to do that, you know, you you can actually be part of the solution instead of part of the problem. When you make it so me, 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 it's always about me. I have to maximize my wealth. Well, the true maximization is by understanding you can use your resources to help others. And that's a real sign of uh, uh, charity and being humble. Yeah. So you're saying being charitable ultimately pays off for you as well. I mean, good things happen when you're charitable. Well, yeah. I don't know that you want to expect it to work, you know, one-to-one relationship, but you feel better about yourself when you know that you can help others in need. And of course, yeah, that was yeah really part of the inspiration of why Rich Van Ness and I uh, did Richer Than a Millionaire, as we um, you know look at our life experiences and how we have helped others and what we can do and how we can help students, at, uh, you know, with the wisdom that we have acquired in our careers. Um, we hope we're putting students and every listener you have out there on the path to true prosperity as opposed to false prosperity because there is an upper limit as how much you really need to live in this material world, right? So be a giver. And so next, be, your next point is to have a good marriage. Why is having a good marriage so important to your prosperity? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I look at the wisdom of um, uh, Stephen King, the, uh, the the fiction author. In one of the interviews he did, he says, you know, he could not be as prolific as he had become if it weren't for a supportive spouse. 
you know, if he had other things going on in his life that were distracting him, he would not be that success. If you have a spouse who is a big spender and you're a big saver, well, you're kind of at odds with one another. What we have to realize is that, you know, a good marriage creates stability, and stability allows you to have a long-term horizon. In fact, if you look at the Forbes 400 list, um, I haven't look at, looked at the recent list, but you look at the marital status of these uh, billionaires, and you'll find that most of them were just married once and only once. You know, it's, it's way over 70% that uh, have that distinction. And it hasn't so, happened lately. We had Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, there are some very tragic stories out there, that's for sure. They but had you know what? a long time, but it didn't always last. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, uh, I, I interviewed a, um, a, a physician in Florida, and he says, in one afternoon, my net worth went from $20 million to $10 million in my wife's uh, uh, attorney's office. Well, don't cry for the guy with $10 million net worth, but you understand, you know, how you know, deleterious a divorce can be in terms of your net worth. You know, when yeah. you have, uh, you know, lots of money, maybe it's less of a, an issue. But most millionaires don't have lots of money. I mean, you realize, you know, to be a one percenter in the United States, $11 million of net worth will put you in that distinctive category. That's the lower end. That's the threshold to get there. And when you realize that the median net worth in the United States is about $120,000, that's the 50th percentile. People aren't even close to being a millionaire. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you have something you called the subjective well-being measurement. Uh, yeah. How happy you are. Why don't you kind of talk about that and what makes people happy and what does it's not just the amount of money, but there are other things that make one happy. Yeah. Um, psychology professor uh, uh, Ed Diener, um, who unfortunately died this past spring, um, has really been a force in the literature on looking at a life satisfaction. And he has created a reliable and valid scale called SWB, Subjective Well-Being. And he put this into the public domain. And we use this as a paradigm in um, Richer Than a Millionaire because we look at people who have acquired a high net worth, but then we ask the questions, and, and there are five statements people respond to on a seven-point scale, and you add up the scale, and you can score from a low of five to a high of 35. And if you score low, you tend to be disgruntled, not satisfied with life. And if you score high, you tend to be well-adjusted and you're a happier person. And so the question you have to ask yourself, does it matter if anybody's happy? Well, yeah. what kind of life would it be if you're not happy? Well, those who are happy and rich, and I think that's the, uh, the the way to go, right? Being rich and happy, that's the American dream. Those who are uh, rich and happy do follow the golden rule, doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. They do give more time and money to charity. We show this empirically um, you know, with statistics saying that those who are happy tend to be givers in this sense. And they're also at peace with their soul. 
Now, this is an important uh, element here. When we were doing a pretest of this uh, questionnaire, and I shared it with one of my uh, priest friends, and he said, Bill, you got to put in the question, are you at peace with your soul? And everybody has to answer that question on their own and make it a yes or no question, <laughs> not on a seven-point scale, where you can say, yeah, I'm at peace. And if you, you answer lot, no... You think a lot of rich people are at peace with their soul? I, I do. I, I, I find that about 88% are at peace. It's this 12% that are disgruntled, that are, uh, for whatever reason, maybe it's they have ill health, maybe they have a bad marriage, maybe their kids don't listen to them. Maybe, uh, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of things that can go on in terms of why you're not happy. But fortunately, uh, most are saying, yeah, I understand where I am and how I got here. But there is an element out there and maybe even a vocal element, this, those 12 percenters <laughs> who uh, are uh, disgruntled. I mean, w- we profiled one guy. He was... Um, his business was failing. He had been successful. His business was failing. His son comes home with a tattoo of a snake on his neck. Um, he doesn't like his wife anymore. I mean, there's a lot of things going on in his life. And, he, you know, he just hopes to um, spend his last dollar on his last dying breath. It's there is sad. an image. There is an image out there that when you get a lot of wealth, it doesn't make you happy, and a lot of people who are wealthy are really not very happy at all. Is that a myth? Well, yeah, well no, I find that a, a lot of them you know, are pretty well-adjusted, at least on this um, subjective well-being. It's when you have this uh, sudden wealth. In fact, it's called the sudden wealth syndrome. You, know, you win the lottery. You get a windfall. Uh, you, you just don't know how to handle it. But when you realize, you know, how you put your heart and soul into building a career and, and however you made that money and have that mantra, I'm working, I'm saving, I'm investing, I'm going to let time work for me for the compounding. It's, um, <laughs> it's the way life ought to be, I think. Yeah. You know, one of the, uh, and well, there's a lot of inspirations out there. All you have to do is you can look at. Uh, your population, whatever community you're in, and you can see there are some people who are just, just don't get it. You know, they're on this economic treadmill. And this, it really gets back down to this frugality thing, you know, and something called self-imposed economic scarcity. Again, it has to come from within when you say, I don't need all these other trappings because it's a distraction, and what we have to do is focus on what is going to make me really happy. And there's things like the good marriage, having kids who still defer to you <laughs> and listen to you and saying, yes, I am now at peace. And I can um, be generous because not only is it good for my soul, it, it really is a religious thing too, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, when we look at you know Judaism, um, you know, the justified person in, in, in the book of Isaiah is those who give their clothes to the naked and give drink to the thirsty. And in Matthew, in Christianity, Matthew 25, this was the mantra that, that really propelled Mother Teresa. That which you've done to the least of these, you've done unto me, says Jesus Christ. Yeah. 
and Islam, one of the pillars of Islam is being charitable and almsgiving. So yeah. it, it's not just, you, you know, certainly I, I can't imagine a religion that's going to make you miserable by following the tenets, although there are some tough things in every religion. I get it. <laughs> but, you know, we have to take a break, Bill. We have to take a break. So yeah. uh, this yep. is Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Bill Danko. He is the author of the book called Richer Than a Millionaire. A Pathway to True Prosperity, and you can find out more about him and his work at richerthanamillionaire.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth in Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth in Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Bill Denko. He is the author of Richer Than a Millionaire, A Path to True Prosperity. You can find out more at his website, richerthanamillionaire.com. Welcome back to the show, Bill. Thank you, Jordan. I have a chapter called Things You Can Do to Reach True Prosperity. And the time we have, let's just go some of some of these briefly. Uh, the first one is what's in your value system? What do you mean by that? Yeah. What are your priorities? And it, it really makes you do some soul searching. Is uh, money truly uh, driving you or is it family is it being the very best in your career, you know, and, and so therefore getting more education? You know, many times we have folks who just stop questioning why they're doing what, what they're doing. We have to be, you know, self-reflective in trying to determine what is the value system and the things that are important to us. You know, many times people get so consumed with materialism that, in the end, of course, that's not important. You know, I'm always attracted to this um, parable of the rich fool. It's uh, in the Bible. And it's about the man who said, I have all these riches. What can I do to store them all up? And he says, I know, I'll pull down my old barns and build new ones, and then I can store it up and relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And the Lord says to him, Fool, your soul is required of you. Then whose riches will these be? <laughs> mm-hmm. So many times we have values that are, I think, misguided. We, we, we always think more, more, more is going to make us happier. And it's just not true. 
You also say to forget the Joneses. What do you mean by that? Yeah, you know, we, we conspicuous consumption. You know, we see our neighbor driving this uh, new car and having a big house. What we have to do is put blinders on and say, what is it I have to do in my household to be successful and not worry about all these external constraints as to and, and, and influences of what people expect of me. That's what we mean. Say, let's be our own person. Let's reflect on our value system. And for example, if you think that family and charity and good marriage are all good things, well, then concentrate on that. And those happen to be some of the things that do lead to true prosperity, for sure. You also talk about considering the upsides and downsides of debt. Debt can be helpful as well as as hurtful. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah. The... um, you know, one of the things we find, well, the student debt, th- that's one thing that could be quite hurtful, uh, quite frankly. As soon as you graduate, you have a mortgage uh, trying to pay off your student loans. But what about things that are going to appreciate in value? Well, for example, uh, well, investment real estate, that, that perhaps is going to be uh, beneficial, um, or having a home. A number of years ago, I had the opportunity to do a presentation at Walter Reed Medical Center. And when I asked him, are you sure you got the right person here? Oh, yeah. We want you to talk about money. We have our young soldiers who have these severe injuries. They're going to get a lump sum and then a monthly stipend. Tell them to invest in something that's going to have lasting value something like a down payment on a house as opposed to a new car. <laughs> and that's the kind of discussion we had with the, at the hospital. It's the lasting value, avoiding the debt, and buying things that are going to appreciate or likely to appreciate as opposed to things that are surely going to depreciate, such as a car or things that are more transient. Yeah. You also say, are you entrepreneurial? Now, a lot of people, you were a teacher for many years in school. Are people being taught coming out of school to be entrepreneurial or are they taught to be workers? Yeah, <laughs> they're taught to be workers. The, um, and, and the question is, you know, I, I see curriculums in colleges about you know, taking courses in entrepreneurialism. And yeah, you can teach it. You can teach the basics. Like you can teach somebody how to do some basic painting uh, but are they going to be a Rembrandt when they're done? Probably not. But they have the basic idea of what has to be done. Now, being an entrepreneur is sometimes uh, a little scary when you're you know, flying without a, a safety net under you. But if you really have that passion and focus saying, this is what I want to do, because it's good for my family and it's good for building wealth and I'll be able to do things on my own terms uh, in the long run, that is something that, yeah, it's entrepreneurial, but it's um, you have to have that long-term vision of saying, I want to do this and I have the confidence that I can do it. You end your book by saying you should have a purpose greater than yourself. Again, this is something people don't think millionaires. They think they're all about themselves. Why is it that successful millionaires have a purpose greater than themselves? Yeah. Um, and that gets back to the idea of being charitable and knowing that your resources, your time, treasure, and talent can be used for the betterment of others. 
the um, I, I know my it, my Jewish friends tell me that they're brought up, especially in the the Hebrew schools, of tikkun olam, heal the world, have this purpose of saying, I can use my resources for the betterment of our society. And we talked about this with, with the, you know, the basic uh, mandates of, of the religions of being a giver. And so having this purpose greater than yourself makes you realize saying, it's not about me. It's not about me just hoarding my money. It's about how can I be a positive force with my money? I mean, so yeah. You, go ahead. In summing up, we have about two minutes to go. Why don't you kind of give people the view of how it is possible to be a millionaire that a lot of people don't think that is possible and, and give back and feel good about yourself as well. Yeah. And you see, we, we have the lessons and what, you know, Tom Stanley and I and Rich Van Ness and I, the things we have done in our research stream here saying, yeah, we have the empirical evidence. We know what has to be done. And again, reflecting on the Benjamin Franklins of the world and, you know, philosophizing about what has to be done. But maybe we can leave it with something like this um, called the problem of human nature. You know, Benjamin Franklin in his um, 1758 essay on the way to wealth said, the people heard the message, agreed with it, and then practiced the contrary. <laughs> Change is hard. You know, you, you, you you have to have that fire in your belly to say, I want to do this. And it is so easy to get discouraged. And you've seen it happen. You've seen, I, ha I have seen it happy happen. That's for, that's for, that's for certain. I mean, even in academia, it is so easy to get discouraged with this publisher parish mentality of getting a, some reviewer rejecting your manuscript time after time. It's like the salesman who is being told no, 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 but finally, yes. <laughs> Somebody accepts and believes what you're doing. And so that's part of the success of being a millionaire is, is being accepting of yourself to a certain extent. Accepting of yourself, knowing that you're going to have a lot of failure to contend with, but you got to stay the course. And again, change is hard, but... If, if you're serious about wealth building, you will embrace the change. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been William Denko. He's the author of Richer Than a Millionaire, A Path to True Prosperity. We've learned a lot this last hour. You can find out more about him at his website, richerthanamillionaire.com. Thanks so much. We got a lot of wisdom from you today, Bill. Jordan, thank you. It was a pleasure. I hope your listeners uh, will benefit from it. Very much so. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.